Welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am also one of your hosts, Colin Heller. And welcome to the Monday show. It is, uh, as you're listening to this, it is uh, August 23rd, 2021. We're currently recording this uh, Sunday, just before noon here on the East Coast. No Yankees game. Rain down. Sorry, Twins. We'll have to fuck you again later. Um, what I, else is new? I was going to say, it, it's like, it, it, it sounds like my usual pompous way, my pompous discourse around the Yankees, but when it's specific to Yankees Twins, it is very true. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the Yankees, I, I'm trying to recall this from memory because I wasn't planning on bringing this stat up that I saw on Twitter the other day, but uh, in the, like, the Yankees' last 144 games against the Twins, they're like 108 and 36. That's rude. That includes the playoffs. <laughs> That's just, well, I mean, of course the Twins lost in the playoffs. I mean, Yeah, yeah. The Yankees are a brick wall to the tr- to the Twins in the playoffs. God, I I mean, I mean, what do you even say? Sorry, I don't feel sorry at all. Fuck you, no. Minnesota. No, Twin Cities ass motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, oh I don't man, good. y'all suck. And at least, at least Twins fans in this series could hang their hat on, well, we sold at the deadline. We were bad anyway. Like, you know, no big deal. But th- these past, like, three years prior to this season, mm-hmm. yeah. There was so much hope to be had. Everyone that gets swept in the playoffs after hitting the most home runs in MLB history? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. How do you not? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's a tough one. Oh man! Wasn't their offense in the playoffs like unbelievably bad? Like it wasn't like just their pitching gave up on them. It's just like, oh no, like y'all just sucked. Actually, if I recall, their pitching was good in it that was. series. Right, but like the hitting, the thing yeah. that they did well was what cost them. Right, right, yeah. Like they just didn't hit at all, and their pitching, which had been fine but not necessarily a strong suit, just kind of like tore the rug out from under them. Was it the 2019 postseason? Um, I think it was. It would make sense. It would make sense. So let's see. Let's look at their uh, their game logs. Um, fucking show me your game logs. Show me what you got. <laughs> oh, schedule and results. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm looking for actual game logs. All right. All right. Let's see. Let's go uh, scroll on down to the postseason here. Wait, am I an idiot? Where's the postseason? Yes, but also oh, yes. like yeah, like generally speaking, yeah, but you know, I guess is this this is just why don't they? This is just the regular season. Show me the I want the I want the postseason. Oh, that's lame. Fuck you, baseball reference. Where is that? Oh well. Ah. Oh well. Not what we're here to talk about today, anyway. What we are here to talk about, though, Corwin Heller, is mm-hmm. partially uh, a comparison we've seen floating what about uh, a lot recently, and that is Shohei Otani and what he has managed to accomplish, having now belted his 40th home run of the season earlier this week and crossed the 
100 innings pitched mark earlier this week. Oh, actually, he is sitting at an even 100 innings pitched, which is such an accomplishment. My God. Um, since in the past three seasons combined, he has pitched for 53 and a third inning. So he is he's going to double that, but in his, likely in his next start. Um, and there's been a lot of talk of, you know, this season that he's having is so unlike any other season we've ever seen. And that includes all of Babe Ruth seasons. And it made me think, what was Babe Ruth like as a pitcher in terms of his hitting? Because I'm not sure I know. Like all of the Babe Ruth seasons that I think of, because I think a lot of us think of Babe Ruth, the murderer's row guy, you know, in the right. late 20s Yankees runs. And by the time he made it to the Yankees, he wasn't really pitching anymore. You know, mm-hmm. that he was, he really only did that for the most part in Boston. And while he was a good hitter in Boston, he obviously wasn't the Yankees version of Babe Ruth because then Boston absolutely would not have traded him. So figured we get uh, a glimpse into that. What, what say you, Corwin? Um, I'm about it. I would have loved to see, you know, the story be told of like Babe Ruth being this like, dominant i don't want to say the best pitcher in the game because i'm sure he wasn't but like some who's like an upper tier guy that's just like on the outside looking in for like top 10 or top five pitcher on the outside looking in for top 10 pitcher yeah like like a, a guy who's a team's solid ace but is not quite in the conversation of like the best pitcher in mlb oh you mean like today yeah today oh um Is it said that the first person I thought of was Eduardo Rodriguez for the Red Sox before Chris Seale came back? Because I think he kind of was their ace. And oh boy, is he not a top ten pitcher in baseball? Yeah, I was going to say like, Josh, I really hope you're. This isn't you trying to say Eduardo Rodriguez is like almost a top ten pitcher. Um, okay, I guess it would have been Nathan Eovaldi. He has the most innings pitched. Fair enough. I guess a good maybe like. Uh, hmm. I'm just trying to go through like the NL West and it's like, all right, you Darvish isn't going to be the guy I'm going to put out there because he is in that conversation. Um, No, because I feel like because he has been at some point, you know, like he was that like babe, a young Babe Ruth up in Boston doesn't have a couple Cy Youngs in his back pocket. Isn't part of that conversation. What would be funny is if he did have a couple of Cy Youngs in his back pocket because Cy Young was alive and playing baseball at that point. <laughs> Touche. What team did no Cy Young play for? Uh, the Spiders. No, no shit. And the Cleveland. Boston Americans, I think. I'll look it up. It might have been the Boston Bean Eaters now that I say it. That Let's is see. a disgusting name. How dare you say that? So he played for nine years for the Spiders. And then, then he played for the Boston Americans for eight seasons, who eventually became the Boston Red Sox in his last season there in 1908. And then he went back to Cleveland, but at that point they were the Cleveland Naps. And then he got traded midseason or something and ended up finishing out his career with the, um, <laughs> oh my God, what even is this name? 
the uh, Boston Rustlers. What? That's right. Let me tell you, let me weave you a tale of the 1911 Boston Rustlers who finished 44-107-5, finishing eighth in the National League. Holy fuck. That is quite bad. I'm really upset. My first thought of like, oh, eighth isn't like the worst thing. And then it's like, oh, there was probably eight teams all together. Yeah. Well, so the National League in 1911 is like a bunch of normal teams and then sneakily the Boston Rustlers. It was the New York Giants who won the division. All right, cool. They're still there. Well, now they're in San Francisco, but, you know. Then it was the Chicago Cubs. Yep. Then the Pittsburgh Pirates, still a team. Philadelphia Phillies, still a team. St. Louis Cardinals, still a team. Cincinnati Reds, still a team. Brooklyn Dodgers, still a team. Well, now they're in Los Angeles. And then the Boston Rustlers. Just, just, Just sneaking in there as super fucking weird. And then you go to the um, then you go to the American League, and it's the Philadelphia Philadelphia Athletics, still a team, but now in uh, Oakland. Detroit Tigers, still a team. Cleveland Naps. I, I I'm gonna assume those became the Indians. I'm going to guess. Uh, and then the Chicago White Sox, still a team. Boston Red Sox, still a team. New York Highlanders, which would become the New York Yankees. Washington Senators, which are now the Minnesota Twins. And then the St. Louis Browns, who I don't know what happened to them. Man, that's not even that fucking long ago, 1911, really, when you think about it. Like, baseball had been around for this point for like 30 years, and the teams are still in flux. That's so fucking weird. Huh. Anyway, I was a huge attraction from you were looking for pitchers. Yes, I was. But you know what? These are the conversations that are okay to go on tangents on. The Browns became the Orioles, by the way. So the St. Louis Browns moved to Baltimore. No, the the Browns became the Ravens, Josh. Well, that's the Cleveland Browns. See, St. Louis moved to Baltimore and Cleveland also moved to Baltimore. So Cleveland, Cleveland, or sorry, Baltimore just just takes the Browns, man. (laughs) Baltimore is all about Brown (laughs) Town. Wow, that's actually fucking hilarious. They took the St. Louis brand. You know, Baltimore's model is like, you know how on the Statue of Liberty it says, like, give us your tired, your poor, your, your unhuddled masses yearning to be free. For Baltimore, it's like, give us your browns. All your browns. Sure. We want we want, we want want to be brown town. I know this sounds weirdly racial racial because it's, it's like brown and Baltimore is a traditionally black city. But, man, yeah. they keep taking team names that are named brown. If you name your team brown, Baltimore is going to come knocking. Okay, I know what I need to do. What do you need to do? I need to uh, start a team and name them the Browns. Oh, by the way, the Cleveland Naps did eventually become the Cleveland Indians. Good, good. So did you find the picture you're looking for? Oh, no, I was not really looking. I was just more of like hoping to find a, a convenient, you know, analogy for what Babe Ruth would be from turning into, you know, fuck it. Uh, let's just say like uh uh name a random team. Let's say Astros. The Astros, okay. They don't really have any top pitchers anymore. Uh all right, a Lance McCullers type pitcher into like a Mike Trout type hitter. Watching that transition unfold. 
Yeah. Uh, so Babe Ruth's best season as a pitcher. Let's. I guess let's start on that end of it. Because so. Nope, I'm going to back myself up even farther before I stumble over all my words. Let's just look real quick at the pitching side of things for Shohei Otani and Babe Ruth, because I feel like that's the sure. lesser discussed part of this, or at least maybe like less interesting in terms of outreach and marketing. I think it's a little bit harder for people to get the benchmark of really throwing 100 innings and doing that very well rather than hitting 40 home runs. Because... Mm. If you sign a starting pitcher and they don't throw 100 innings, that's weird. You know, it's it usually right. it's because of injury or suspension. Like some, there's something that prevented them from doing it because so much so the norm is that if you have a starting pitcher and they don't get hurt and don't miss any time, it's fucking hard for them to miss 100 innings. Right. So it might not seem obvious that that is such an accomplishment and what he did in that time being such an accomplishment, whereas 40 home runs – again, is an obvious benchmark that I think even people with a tertiary understanding of the benchmarks and milestones in baseball will grasp. So let's start with the pitching side of it. So I said so, so many times. Uh, looking at the standard pitching for Shohei Otani this season, he has pitched to an 8-1 and one record, which is very, very good. Um, that He has done so with a 2.79 ERA. He has pitched in 18 games, a clean 100 innings, has allowed 67 hits, 31 earned runs, 33 runs total, only eight home runs, only 39 walks, um, 120 strikeouts, which is good for a 10.8 strikeouts per nine, 3.5 walks per nine, less than one home run per nine, a strikeout to walk ratio of 3.08, a whip of 1.060, a FIP of 3.19, that is an ERA plus of 166. So good. That's very, very good. So let's start with the ERA plus, just because that might be the easiest. Lazy. I'll, I will fully admit that. I don't think I've ever shined away from acknowledging my own laziness. Uh, but probably the easiest way of looking at it, just dollars to, to donuts here. Uh, so you have donuts. I wish. So Babe Ruth really, again, only pitched a significant number of innings for for Boston. When Babe Ruth made his Yankees debut in 1920, that whole season for the Yankees, he pitched in one game and threw four innings. He then pitched in two games the following season through nine innings and then didn't throw again for nine seasons until 1930 when he also pitched one game, a complete game, but still just the one uh, pitching appearance. And then he didn't throw for them again for another three years where he also threw a complete game. But that means that in the total span of his of his Yankees career, um, which or at least this 14 year stretch from 1920 to 1933, he had a whopping uh, was that four game, five games. That That's it. So uh, and all those together is 31 innings, whereas his last season in Boston, he threw 133 innings pitched. And it was the fewest of his time in Boston as a, as an actual starter. So, yeah. So wild to think about just like him being such a good pitcher and then just not doing it ever. Yeah. And that's part of why the DH is so good for the American League today for Shohei Otani. And this is not me me trying to say he has some kind of like 
advantage over Babe Ruth. I'm not, I'm not trying to be like a Babe Ruth apologist or a Shohei Otani hater or anything like that. But at the time, you know, one of the reasons Babe Ruth became a left fielder, right, right fielder. Fuck. Right, I'm going to say right field. It feels correct to say right. He field. played the field. He was a fielder. Um, was because there was no DH. So if Babe Ruth wasn't, if Babe Ruth was in the rotation, and there you had a standard five man rotation, whatever. We'll look at that in a second. Then he's only hitting once every five days, unless he's going to start putting him in the field, in which case you need to then take out a fielder. It becomes way more of a shuffle than if you just say, like, look, we can find another guy to pitch once every five days so we're not fucking you up. You just go be our right fielder, and then we can just make our lives easier. Like, that is a much, much easier way to do it, especially in such an infant part of, um, you know, MLB front officery. I'm sure it'd be much easier to just go find another guy to go do what is at the time kind of a much easier job than it is today, which is throw a baseball as we'll mm-hmm. see when we look at Babe Ruth's ERAs in these seasons. <laughs> <laughs> so ERA wise, ERA plus wise, Babe Ruth's best season was 1916 in which he had a league best 158 ERA plus. So in his best season, he still was not by ERA plus a equivalent pitcher to Shohei Otani. Why that could seem deceiving is because his ERA in that season was 1.75, which is significantly better in ERA than Shohei Otani this, uh, in that in that time. But that's part of the problem about it is that it's in that time. We're still just kind of getting out of the dead ball era, which I believe did end in 1916. So this might have been the last year of it. I'll double check myself there. Uh, but by and large, there was just a lower run scoring uh, offenses in baseball in general, because more of it was about, I mean, the home run as goofy as the sense about a sound, the home run had barely been invented yet. <laughs> People weren't really a using it. It was, it was a slap single kind of league where, you know, I mean, at that point in time, people were still doing the fucking Baltimore chop. So um, you, it's tough to go strictly by ERA regular ERA for that reason, because Babe Ruth's worst ERA in Boston was 2.97, which is 18 points higher than Shohei Otani's right now. And then every other season he had in Boston was better than that. His second worst season in Boston was 2.44. And so you might look at that 2.44 ERA in 217 innings and go, well, obviously Babe Ruth was the better pitcher, but his ERA plus that season was 114. So it was only 14% better than your average starting pitcher or your average Mm -hmm. pitcher. And it's like, that's, Obviously, it's a very good ERA, but you're clearly not that much better than what the league was doing at that time. So it's tough to make a, you know, again, it's tough to make an apples to apples comparison based just on that. Apples to apples. Dust to Um, dust. And it's one of those things where I know we've talked about it to some extent, but I don't know if we've ever had like a full on discussion or, or mention of it. But how fucking thankful are we that plus statistics and negative statistics are so just usable i guess would be the right word um for baseball you know like we don't have those kind of statistics for football and that's why we always have the conversation of like oh how can we compare tom brady and joe montana or you know all of these wild you know era athletes all of these athletes of different eras and all of these different sports where it's just like i don't know how good 
Wilt Chamberlain is compared to LeBron James because Wilt Chamberlain was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. No one can argue that. We just don't know how he would do in any other era. But baseball is so numbers-focused and, and is played in such a way where it is singular player versus singular player that we can have these comparison statistics, these average statistics, and be able to say, oh, hey, Babe Ruth was very good, but hey, he was only you know 14% better than the average pitcher in 1916, whereas... Shohei Otani is, I forget what 66%. it was, 66%, thank you, um, than other pitchers in this era. So we can have that, not apples to apples, but like apples to pears. Pears, yeah. It's close. It's not the same, but it's close. Oranges yeah, to clementines, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tangelos to grapefruits. We've reached my citrus fruit um, kind of limit, so I'm I'm just gonna nod. You can't see me nod because my camera's broken, but I'm just gonna nod in approval. This is this is a real star fruit to kiwi kind of situation we found ourselves in. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> pear. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously, people yes. look in and go like, uh, "Shyotani can strike out Babe Ruth." And first of all, striking out someone if you're a, a, a starting pitcher. I'm not going to say it sounds easy, but I mean, you do it a lot. Like yeah. the significant number of the people you face, you eventually strike out. So that doesn't seem like a great accomplishment. Babe Ruth in this season that we're talking about in 1916, in this, in an era where the strikeout was not a very common thing. He got 170 strikeouts. That, that seems like a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> like people strike out other people all the time. That's not a big accomplishment. And also you play with the advancements and the knowledge of your day. It's like saying, that you are smarter than um, a mathematician in ancient Greece before they had the proofs to actually do a lot of the equations they can do today. Obviously, with the pre with the knowledge foundation, if you are in college for mathematics or whatever, physics, any of the sciences, you are building on a foundation of knowledge that was built by the people of a previous era. You understand and get taught some of the stuff that they had to work to figure out, uh, which would take them years and years and years that you can learn in a semester. Right. That doesn't mean that you're smarter than them because you have a larger foundation of knowledge than them. It just means that you are being, you are working towards creating your own understanding of the universe, understanding of mathematics or whatever it is you're talking about using shit that other people who might very well be smarter than you had to figure out the fuck on their own. And the same thing goes with athletics. Like you are building some level of understanding of how to pitch, how to hit, how to be successful in the game based on what worked with the people who are showing it to you, coaching you and, and helping you understand it, that it comes from a history of knowledge that got into them by that point. That's how society progresses. So saying that if you plopped Babe Ruth in today's game, he'd suck or put Shohei Otani back in, in um, Babe Ruth's era and that he would dominate. It's a, it's a stupid conversation to have because there's a linear progression to society knowledge and understanding of every single aspect of life that you're just circumventing entirely by trying to go based strictly on a sense of current athleticism with within sports. And that's just a stupid fucking thing to, to, 
to spend your time arguing about. We can talk about what they actually did in their era and make comparisons based on that, which is what Corn and I are talking about right now. That's what Corn was saying, mm-hmm. you know, with the 16% better ERA in 1916 for Babe Ruth and the 66% better ERA that Shohei Otani has today. That is an apt comparison because we're talking specifically within their errors, what were they able to accomplish? But I mean, wasting your fucking breath talking about what would happen if we put Shohei Otani back in um, 1916, you know what happened? They wouldn't let him fucking play baseball. They kick him the fuck out of the country. Like, like, <laughs> like it's just, it's a stupid fucking comparison to have. But what happened if you put Babe Ruth in today's game? He'd probably fucking shoot himself in the face because he wouldn't understand how to use a tablet and it would scare him. <laughs> Like, it's it's a stupid-ass conversation. So, I moving on. I want this to be a cheesy Disney made-for-TV movie of Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani being swapped and then having it turn into a just incredibly insightful and just emotionally draining look into just how racist America was and just making fun of how stupid Babe Ruth would be in 2021 super duper racist and shooting <laughs> the story of america yeah yeah so uh, by era plus we can very confidently say that show how tani is already already doing something that babe ruth had never been able to accomplish and i think that this is also the part of that conversation that the argument really hinders on because we're, we're gonna look at the offensive numbers in a second and it'll be a little bit tougher to really say you know dollars to dollars what 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 what's going on with that but the idea There's that so Otani, comparison idioms today apples to apples dollars well, to dollars. we're doing a comparison you know it's it's tough um but looking at just the pitching stats like already Shohei Otani is doing a better job in his era of pitching than Bayworth ever did and if we're going to combine those two factors and say that Shohei Otani is doing something in both phases of the game that babe never did well we've already said yeah part of it already is that so just to look at some of the other numbers real quick babe ruth's best season best season uh by whip would be and i'm only using his boston years because again it's his it's his best years um in terms of innings pitch was 1.046 so uh that is slightly lower than show Otani's season today what does it mean who cares his strikeouts per nine capped out in this 1916 season. It was 4.7. Shoyotani's this season is 10.8. <laughs> so huge advantage there for him. The walks per nine actually feels very similar. Uh, I Because I think what's funny is with strikeouts, there's a lot more like pitch to contact, I think, mentality at this era. And there's a lot more hit to contact mentality in this era. And it led to people wanting to avoid strikeouts as a batter. And I think not care about them too much as a pitcher, but walks were always something that you would take if you were a batter and avoid if you were a pitcher. Right. Mm -hmm. So the walk number is actually kind of close for Shohei Otani. His walks per nine this season is 3.5 and Babe Ruth's um, worst season was 3.9 his average season um was 3.2 so it yeah. really feels very very similar right yeah nifty neat i'm trying to see if there's anything else especially relevant here to to look at um but uh, you know it kind of is what it, it, there's obviously no advanced stats for us to look at in terms of like spin rate and shit uh, they didn't have 
like what? real that cast wasn't digital around? cameras. They didn't have they didn't have TrackMan. They didn't have anything back then. Jeez, mm, awful. Um, Do you know how much a, a TrackMan system costs? Like, a, if you and I were to go out and buy a TrackMan today, do you know how much one would cost? No. How much would it cost? About twenty thousand dollars. Fuck you! No, it doesn't. It does for Fuck something you. for something the size of an iPad. It costs twenty thousand dollars. Fuck you! I do not believe. Oh my god, it does. <laughs> Eighteen thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars, not including sales tax, shipping, handling, and insurance. Holy shit! Wow. I'm. I like that you were so like in awe that you immediately had to look it up, and then found it immediately. Like it's oh not even god. like they're hiding the cost. It's like just to your face, you're too poor to use this. Fuck off. <laughs> Hello, broke boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's so much money. Hey, <laughs> I, I I it's gotta be worth it though, you know what I mean? Like people fucking do it. Yeah, no, like the people that buy this are professional golfers who would use this often and would help them dramatically. This is useless to either one of us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh actually I do have some advanced pitching stats here to look at super quick because I know I'm sure both of us want to get to the batting part of this because that's a fun one. Uh, batting average against Joe Outtown this season, 1.9. Babe Ruth's lowest with Boston was, uh, and I'm really going to, uh, probably his 1916 season at 201. So Show Outtown got the edge on base percent against uh, Show Outtown this season, 2.8. Babe Ruth's best season looks like 1918. Um, with a 276, so edge to to the babe there. Slugging against for Shohei Otani this season, 309. Babe Ruth's best season looks like his 1916 season, uh, which is 228. Goddamn. Well, again, a much bigger singles era than today. Today's much more home run focused with the swing and approach and everything. Uh, that means that Shohei Otani's OPS this season against so far is 589. The Babe's best season as a pitcher with, for OPS against is also his 1916 campaign, 508. Shohei Otani's BABIP against has been 258. What? Uh, Babe Ruth's best season by BABIP was two, uh, 228. What's up? Can we figure out and like look and see what like the highest OPS was in 1916? Highest OPS in 1916. Yeah, I can figure that out. Give me a second. Give me the beat, boys. Free muscle. All right. No. I want to get lost in my rock and roll and drift away. Shout out to Dobie Gray. Whoa, drift away. <laughs> uh, give me the beat, right, boys. And free- okay. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs to sing. I love that it song. Is, it is a very, very good song, but that's enough. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself for a second while you look this up and just let loose. <laughs> I'm just going to think about the consequences of my action. So 1960, I'm looking at the, the uh, OPS for. Corbin Heller, unmute yourself. Oh, my God, Corbin. Yes. I'm looking for the OPS in 1916. Yes. How many, how many plate appearances should I set? Uh... 
I don't. What's a qualifying batter usually? Uh, the default here is five hundred. Sound good to you? Sure. Yeah. All right. Okay, so this is OPS as a batter. Uh, the number one getter of OPS leader, I guess. Um, in 1916 was Tris Speaker with a 972 OPS. Why do I know that name? He is an inner circle Hall of Famer. Yeah, a 134.7 war. Oh. MVP, three-time World Series winner, batting title. Yes. yes. Played yeah. 22 mm-hmm. years and is the all-time leader in doubles. 792 Ooh. doubles. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Tris. Let us continue on. All right. Uh, so is there anything else interesting with these stats? Kinda, uh, not really. So anyway, pitching stat-wise, I think it's safe to say that Shohei Otani this season, better than Babe Ruth has anything done, better than Babe Ruth has done given his era uh, in his career. Yes. Obviously, you can make you can make certain arguments about the innings pitched stuff. You know, like Babe Ruth's inning pitchest inningest pitched season is nineteen seventeen, in which he threw three hundred twenty six point one innings pitched. And this, I mean, there's no way Shohei Otani is even going to cross two hundred this year. We're already well past the halfway point of the season. There's only a month and a half left of ball, and even if Shohei Otani went out and pitched a complete game. Every single time he went out there, let's say, I don't know. How many starts do you think Shohei Otani has left in him? Um, Just based on schedule. Like four or five. You know I what? Think it's, I don't think it's that many. Let's be liberal. Let's say it's seven. Nine times seven is 63. So even if he threw a complete game and started seven more times, absolutely. We must. <laughs> this is the people's podcast. Um, but we'll be a neoliberal podcast and sell your data to big government. Um, Anyway, uh, <laughs> we even so even if you're being very generous with the number of starts and very very optimistic in the amount of innings pitched, he's he's not even going to cross 200. And the only Ooh. reason I bring that up is because it's I think there is also part of the I think stupidity that I mentioned earlier of trying to compare, you know, take a guy, put him in a different era, is that in addition to that knowledge base that I had mentioned. Part of that is also, hey, it, pitching a colossal amount of innings isn't always good, especially as we have built up your arm and your mechanics to throw as hard as a human being can possibly fucking throw. Doing it ad nauseum might not be the best way to conduct your physical life. Uh, we should probably stop you at some point from doing this to yourself. And we have in-game stops right around 100 pitches. And based on where you are in your career, there are even season limits. Like Casey Mize is not going to throw um, seven innings per game every game because he's very young and the Detroit Tigers don't want him to uh, until maybe next season he'll can, he can throw more innings based on how the season goes. You don't want to blow a kid's arm out when he's 24 and you want to have him on your team for the next decade. So right. it's also it's, – it's not fair to look at the innings pitch totals from 1916 to today because – Back then, if they had to bring in a reliever, you were an asshole for them having to bring in a reliever. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. the relievers weren't guys that, that were like How? waiting to get into the game. They got into the game if they needed to get into the game. Outside of that, it was your expectation that as a starting pitcher, you finish the fucking game. 
How um how big were rosters back in the day? I have no fucking clue. Give me a year. What year do you want? 1916. All right. So let's look at the 1916. Um, what that was Boston Babe Ruth was on. So let's look at the, like the 1916 Boston Red Sox roster. All right. So they had 29 guys play for them that season in terms of batting and 10 guys who pitched for them that season. Obviously there's overlap there because, you know, Babe Ruth, there was no DH at this point. So Babe Ruth was a batter as well as a uh, pitcher. So actually, so it's 29 guys, batters and pitchers. Okay. 29 guys, batters and pitchers. Hmm. Okay. That's not a big roster at all. No. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously slightly larger than today's roster, but I mean, really not by much. And a lot of these guys, like uh, Raymond Haley, played in one game for Boston that season, so he he doesn't really count. I don't even know who that is. So he has one point one career WAR. He played in uh, three seasons for the Philadelphia Athletics and the Boston Red Sox. Uh, had a career OPS plus of eighty one. Oh, how could I not know who that is? Yeah, his uh, first game was in April 21st in 1915, and his last game was September 15th, 1917. His stat line in those games was the same, and they were also what? both against the Washington Senators. Um, what? His stat line, his debut was against the Washington Senators, where he had two at-bats, no hits, no home runs, no RBIs, no stolen bases. And his last game was also at home against the Washington Senators, in which he had two at-bats, no hits, no home runs, no RBIs, and no stolen bases. Uh, that's just really cool. Raymond Haley's career is a palindrome. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, you, know, you look at uh, the Heine Wagner. <laughs> Shut up. I shit you. Oh, man, you got to see this guy's baseball reference photo, too. Hold on. I'm putting this in the group chat for, or the uh, the Zoom chat for you. Uh, he was a also a shortstop. That's so funny. I wonder is I wonder if Heine Wagner is related to Honus Wagner. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Is he related to Honus? Hungus? Honus Wagner. No, it doesn't come in his Wikipedia page, so therefore it's impossible. Uh, <laughs> so Heine Wagner only played in uh, six games for the Red Sox that season. So really, it looks like it's a very comparable size roster, all things considered. Obviously, I don't know the transactions here, but I mean, there's several guys. Jimmy Walsh had 14 games, so it looks like it's a pretty comparable size roster today. And then even on the pitching side, uh, Marty McHale had two games played with the Red Sox. Weldon Wyckoff had eight. Herb Pennock had 11. Sad Sam Jones had 13 games. <laughs> I I honestly want to believe, and I will choose to believe, because fuck you, this is my reality, that parents back in the day just like named their kids these kind of things just on their own. And it's like, hey, Sad Sam Wagner, What's your real name? Because obviously it can't be Sad Sam. That's ridiculous. It's like, no, I'm Sad Sam. 
What's more ridiculous sounding, his nickname of Sad Sam Jones or his real name of Sam Pond Jones? No, his real name is Sad Sam, and I refuse to acknowledge anything else. Also, Sad Sam Jones, really fucking good career. 42.8 career war, two World Series rings, a career ERA of 3.84, pitched for 22 seasons. That's really good. That's actually, yeah, that's a great career. He was on the 19... 19- uh, 26 Yankees and the, the 1915, 1925 Yankees, which were two of the two really solid Yankees teams. Like actually really, he was, he was with the Yankees from 22 to, to 26. He just missed the murderers road year. Um, and I mean, those were some fucking great teams. Way to go. Sad Sam, jo- sad Sam Jones had a lot to be happy about in his career. <laughs> yeah. He won a world series ring in 1918 with Boston, their last world series ring before the curse. And uh, in 1923 with the Yanks. Huh. Fucking go figure. Right. Damn. All right. Um, any, any who we have, of course, done the thing that we're notorious for doing where we talked for a half an hour and have not gotten through the first fucking topic. <laughs> so let's finish this out real quick. Babe Ruth talking about his batting stats is obviously much, much different than talking about his pitching stats because, like I had said, he had gone from being a uh, very, very good hitter with Boston and a good pitcher to going to the Yankees and really not pitching anymore because the Yankees saw that, you know what he could do with the bat and was like, you, sir, have to be in the field all the time now playing looks like just a lot of different out- corner outfield. Right. Um, like we can't risk you having Tommy John surgery and missing time when your bat's so good to which Babe you. Ruth replied, who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when do you think Tommy John was born? Uh, I think 1924. I think it's earlier than that. Oh, wait, shit. No, it's much later. 1943. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I thought he was old as shit in the 60s. He well, was didn't not... he get that surgery in the 60s? He got it in 75 by the looks of it. Okay, so like 30, late 20s? Uh, yeah, it looks like he missed his age 32 season. Dude, he pitched for 26 years. That's just unfucking believable. That's that actually is truly unbelievable. <laughs> like unbelievable. And he was everywhere. Two seasons with he came up in his age 20 season and finished his career at 46. On what? Real. Yeah. He's, his, first, his rookie year was 1963. His last season was 1989. And I know we've looked at this baseball reference page before. 1989, a number. Another summer. 1989. Sound of the funky All right. Anyway. So, Baby Ruth. And so, really, Babe Ruth in his last two seasons with Boston started showing uh, the ability to be a ridiculously good batter. He had an OPS plus by season in Boston, 1915, 189 OPS plus, 1916, 122, uh, 1917, 162, then 
I'm sorry, he led what he led the majors, not just the league, the majors that season, 1919, his last season in Boston, with 103 runs. So sorry, he led the majors in runs scored, home runs, RBIs, on base percent, slugging, OPS, OPS plus, and total bases. Yes. Again, stupid. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So then he goes to the Yankees and it, it, gets, it gets even crazier. We could just sit here and jerk off this page forever. Uh, to put 166 in a historical com- comparison for Babe Ruth, it would be his, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, his seventh worst season of his career. Babe Ruth played for 22 seasons. He had six seasons below a 166 OPS plus. And uh, four of them were in Boston before he even made it to the Yankees. One was 1934, his last season with the Yankees. And one of them was, sorry, three of them were in Boston. One of them was his final season in the Yankees. One of them was his final season in baseball. And then one of them was weirdly like 1925. Sure. Um, The rest of it is all over 166 OPS plus. I mean, his 1920 season is almost a hundred points of OPS higher than that at 255. I fucking love baseball. It's so stupid. It's so fucking stupid, man. So, and that's where it gets tough. If you, you know, so let, let, let's look at some stats here. Let, okay. let, let's, let's look at some stats. So standard batting, starting with Shohei Otani. Currently, uh, let's see. He leads all the baseball right now in home runs. So Babe Ruth did that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times. Did twelve times, and of those times, he hit over forty home runs. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Ten times. Ten times. So fucking ten many times, lady. Tonight. Now Babe Ruth. Hilariously enough, only one MVP one time. Well, didn't they implement like MVP? Well, no. He won it in 1923 and then didn't get a single fucking vote again until 1931. When he finished what? fifth. Yeah. I know. Who, I've actually who never are the other con- winners? I just want to look up. I've actually never considered this part of baseball history. So 1924 baseball. MVP. Let's Dazzy Vance for the National League. Who the... Alright, hold on. So the American League winner that year was Walter Johnson. And I mean, Babe didn't even get a vote. Right? Right. Babe Ruth in 19... What am I looking at? 1924? Hold on. So, I can't believe I've never actually thought about this. That is super weird. So Babe Ruth in 1924 um had led the led all of baseball in runs, home runs, walks, strikeouts, batting average, on base percent, slugging, OPS, OPS plus, and total bases. And he had a war of 11.8. Fuck you. What? Fuck yourself. Oh my God. He had a positive DWAR. Eat a dick, babe. What the shit? Um, and Obviously, that's the, that was the most in baseball that season. Walter Johnson took the award with 7.5 war, which is a great year. But 
the top war getter of the guys who got votes was actually 15th place vote getter Howard Emke with an 8.2 war season that year. But yeah, Babe not even registering a vote. And then Dazzy Vance took the award on the National League side with 10.3 war that season, just above Rogers Hornsby, who had a 12.3 war season that year, but didn't quite eclipse Dazzy. Uh, 12 vote first place votes shy that season. Yeah, that's, actually, uh, that's something else. I wonder why Babe didn't get votes. It's one thing to you know say he gets like the Mike Trout treatment, which is you can't vote for him for first every year. So you put him on your ballot because you should, but mm-hmm. maybe you don't give him the first place votes. He wasn't getting any votes. But. Uh. So the guy, I just have to share this name for you. The guy who won MVP in 1925. Um, great, great name. Love this name. Roger Peckinpah. Okay, you just made that name up, right? I did not. Roger Peckinpah finished his season. You ready for this? Here's Roger Peckinpah's MVP slash line. 294, 367, 379. Guys is an OPS of 746 and OPS plus for the era of 91. He led the league in absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> he had 124 hits. So it's not like he was single city out there. Um, I mean, I really don't even know what else to look at. He, he led the league in literally nothing. Babe Ruth 1925 season was a down year for him, but let's look at it anyway. Uh, he didn't lead the league in anything either, but slash line 290, 393, 543. It's an OPS of 936, an OPS plus of 137. Roger Peck and war that year, 2.7. <laughs> Not the lowest war getter in the top 10. That belongs to Ira Flagstead and his 1.8 war. Ira Flagstead. Man, I I could look at old baseball names literally forever. Because the, like they just don't make sense. They're not they're not things anyone has ever heard of in the last century, which is fine. You can expect that to an extent. But my goodness, they are hilarious. Oh yeah, even the ones where it's like that probably wasn't a weird name, like um Al Wingo in Detroit. <laughs> I mean, Trey Wingo is a thing, so, you know. Oh, there's an Ike Boone here. I wonder if he's related to Aaron Boone. Um, Oh, I'm sure all the Boones are related. Benny Bongo? (laughs) But So this is the other weird thing about this, is that, like, there's New York guys that finished and got MVP votes. Because Earl Combs got MVP votes in 1925. Bob Musil got MVP votes. Herb Pennock got MVP vote, votes. Benny, it's probably Bengu, but I'm looking at it and it, it looks like to me it should be pronounced Benny Bongos. Um, Lou Gehrig got MVP votes and Joe Dugan got MVP votes, but just not the babe. I, I wonder if there's a racial the component to that because there was a lot of rumors about Babe Ruth secretly being uh, black or Dominican because, you know, uh, the nose and he looked like he had a darker complexion in some pictures and he, you know, uh, didn't know his parents. He was he came out of an orphanage um, when he went into to ball at eighteen. He you know didn't know who his parents were. So I wonder if there's a racial component to all these no votes for for the babe. 
because uh, on its surface, looking back at it a hundred years later, it's hilariously ridiculous, but that's not what this podcast is about today. I do love how, um, how outrageous it can be that Babe Ruth was looked down upon because, well, he might have been Dominican. I mean, and that, you know, we can sit here and, and be like, why are people racist all day? Because it's never going to make any sense. But you're right. It's like, it's like if you're letting him play in the league, do, do, does it matter if he's secretly Dominican? If he eats plantains on the side? Like, you know, not Babe Ruth is one hell of a ball player, but he, 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 he eats this thing, Mafungu. I'm not sure I understand. Um, why is he eating spaghetti on the beach? We'll never understand. We'll never know. Uh. Why is he eating spaghetti on the beach? <laughs> why that shit will never make sense to me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but again, I don't eat spaghetti on the beach. So, y- yeah, uh, it's weird and ridiculous. But anyway, any anyway, let just just getting back Thank into you. the main part of this conversation. The 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 baby Ruth against Shohei Otani part of it. Um, I mean, sort by whatever you want to sort by for for Shohei for Babe Ruth against Shohei Otani stats this season, and Babe Ruth is going to turn out with a higher number and an even goofily higher number historically speaking. You know, it, 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 because Babe was his stats in terms of a lot of like those power numbers look very comparable to today. But people didn't do that back then. So it looks ridiculous in that era. And obviously, you're never going to be able to have an honest comparison between Babe's offensive numbers and a guy today because once you add in the fact that people just didn't do that when he did that, it like having a 255 OPS plus today, I can't even imagine what that player looks like at the end of the season. We've seen some really high OPS pluses, you know, in like March and April. But we, we, you don't see that shit in September. It just, it just doesn't happen. And for a reason, it's insane to do. And the, mm-hmm. one of the reasons Babe was able to do that is because other players at his time didn't care about hitting home runs and thought that their teams would be better off if they hit singles. And that might sound like it's a stupid thing, but like, I mean, even Ichiro did that in the 2000s. That is something that he said. He, was, he always thought that he was better off for his team's sake hitting singles, and so he did. Everyone who knows Ichiro's um, batting practice uh, routine knows that he can hit home runs. He absolutely can hit home runs. He's a very, he was a very strong dude with an amazing swing, but he chose he fo- chose to focus his energy and his approach on hitting singles, and that's what people in the 1920s and 30s did during Babe's era. So, in that sense, you could say that Shohei is not doing what the babe did, but I think there's a mentality behind it. You know, there, there's there. It's not just, he's not posting a 200 OPS plus because it's almost no one does it. And it, there's no point in that. Mm-hmm. What the real thing I think is, is that he is performing at such a high level in, in the categories in which he can compete in like leading the majors mm-hmm. in home runs. Like that's something that is achievable no matter what the era is. Like obviously someone can hit more home runs Someone will hit the most home runs in a given season. Like that is inevitable. And right now that person is Shohei Otani and that person was the babe forever. So OPS plus might not be right or whatever. Batting average might be lower. Who gives a fuck about that shit? It's the idea that he can lead all of baseball in something on the offensive side and be phenomenal 
and one of the top pitchers in baseball and the pitching side of things. And those two things together in the same season isn't something Babe really did often. I think if we were to combine those two types of seasons and look at um, Babe's batting stats, the closest he probably came was 1918 or 1919. He led all of baseball in home runs each of those two seasons. But in 1918, and he was still pitching with Boston at the time and having good careers in Boston. 1918, he did it with 11 home runs. And 1919, he did it with 29 home runs. And <laughs> that 29 home run season, he had a 217 OPS plus oh on the back God. of those 29 home runs. And yeah, also 34 doubles, 12 triples, a lot of other stuff in there. 111, 101 walks, you know, there's other stuff in there, but I mean, could you imagine having a 217 OPS plus and hitting under 30 bombs? <laughs> no. And, and so that's where I think you have to lose some of the comparison. It, it, it's, it's painting a story with numbers and not just going, you know, line for line, trying to check boxes. Like it's some shitty Instagram post. Right. So what do you think, Corwin? I think we need to pause for a second because I'm about to piss my pants. Oh, my God. So to genuinely answer your question, I think we need to acknowledge that Babe Ruth is Babe Ruth for a reason. And the things he does is, well, was truly incredible for his time, especially. But even now, looking at what he was able to accomplish, like that's just, he's Babe Ruth. But the fact that Shohei Otani is, showing both the capacity to do both at the same time and at the level he's doing both. I mean, he's pitching at Cy Young levels and hitting at MVP levels at the same time, the same season. Like he, he locked up the MVP race before the all-star break, his ability to perform in every aspect of baseball is extraordinary could he be the first ever 10 tool player possibly who knows but i'm not gonna crown him the next babe ruth just yet obviously he's you know 25 how old is he oh i have a stats page up hold on i have it up too he is 26 he's 27 oh july 5th was his birthday yeah Yeah. happy birthday He's 27 years old. He has potentially another 10 years in baseball. He could get there. Shohei and I were born the same year. We are having very different lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me sad. It makes me so sad. I remember when Glaber Torres came up and he was like the first Yankee that was younger than me. And I was like, fuck. Oh, man. Yeah. And, you know, uh, if, if you are butthurt about people comparing people to Babe Ruth, that's a win for Babe Ruth. Every day, 10 times out of 10, the fact that the benchmark of an ungodly season is still Babe Ruth, it means he was still a really fucking good ball player that people can't take their fucking minds off of. Like, that's a huge win if you're Babe Ruth. Look, people have to be used as benchmarks. All time greats are going to be used as benchmarks. Whether we want them to or not, who gives a fuck? This is and this is actually an apt comparison and an interesting conversation piece because I had like I had never really thought about 
I knew Babe Ruth pitched, and I knew he hit, and I knew he hit a lot better after he gave up pitching, but I didn't really know where those lines were. And this was a good reminder for me or a good thought for myself for to like go look at, you know, where, where were those changes? You know, when did that split occur and was there any overlap? Mm-hmm. And there's also takes nothing away from Babe to say that Shohei is having a season that he didn't. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that Babe all of a sudden retrospectively, retroactively sucks or his accomplishments don't mean anything. It's a different season. Like, Ricky Henderson having a million stolen bases a year doesn't take anything away from Babe Ruth, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't take anything away from anybody. You know, if, if, if uh, I don't know if uh, Casey Mize or like whoever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just that's the most recent young pitcher I, I thought of ends up throwing like 12 Maddoxes next season, just out of nowhere, just like a dozen, literal dozen Maddoxes. It takes nothing away from Greg Maddox. You know, it's still going to be called a Maddox at the end of the day, which obviously means Greg Maddox wins. And it doesn't mean all of a sudden that retroactively Maddox wasn't the best Maddox thrower or whatever. It's just you need benchmarks and those benchmarks are going to be people who accomplished things, who accomplished really good things, the best things. It is what it is. Every left-handed, hard left-handed pitcher ever is going to be compared to Randy Johnson and CC Sabathia. Like that's just the way it's going to be. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Every power right-handed Dominican pitcher is going to be compared to Pedro Martinez. It is going to happen. Every fat pitcher is going to be compared to Bartolo Colon. That's just the way it is. Every and, and, power home run hitter is going to get compared to Bartolo Colon. That's just how it is. And every conspiracy theory lunatic is going to be compared to Jose Canseco. Just the way it goes. <laughs> so I thought, oh, this was a fun exercise. Obviously, the conclusion is, I think for myself and I would guess the same for you that yeah this is a season for Shohei Otani unlike anything Babe Ruth put together uh, because he's just doing both things so incredibly well and that means nothing for the uh, history of Babe Ruth it means everything for the present day uh, viability and joy of baseball and just a celebration of what Shohei Otani has been has been doing this season you you win MVP. He you good. He good. He win MVP. Love me some show high. Um. All right. So then, shall we take it now? Again, 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 again. We've done this thing where we had several topics right now, and then we spent a very, very, very long time talking about the first one, and now we have very little time talking about the second one. Of course. But. We must talk about some things. So, Corwin Heller, would you like to talk about... No, nah, I'm not going to give you the option. Let's talk briefly about Trevor Bauer because there's been an update. There was an update as of the last time we recorded, and I'd hate to continue putting it off because it's a relatively more serious topic, and I, I don't want to push it off out of our own discomfort. It's worth talking about sooner rather than later. So, the main update being that as of... Uh, late last week, uh, Shohei, not Shohei, I'm sorry, Trevor Bauer, my, my apologies, I spent like an hour talking about Shohei Otani. Trevor Bauer had his court hearing uh, about the continuation of the restraining order that was issued by the petitioner, the woman that had a previous sexual relationship with Trevor Bauer that um, he had assaulted. And 
the judge ordered against the restraining order and dissolved the one that had been put in place. Um, the reasoning for this that was given is that Trevor Bauer is had been considered only threatening, physically threatening, or pose additional physical threat in a sexual relationship. And since there was no chance of a continued sexual relationship between the two, he'd posed no immediate physical threat to her. Uh, I think that's hard for us to make a comment on because there is some legality that goes into, there's some, I think, legal theory and reasoning that goes into that beyond just the surface level reason that's given for it. Uh, Cheryl Ring, I retweeted and, and commented for her on this on Twitter earlier this week because she'd been doing a phenomenal job, but she helped provide some of those more uh, nuanced and, and insightful pieces about where that kind of comes into play into some of this decision-making. And she seemed to mostly understand where this, this judge was coming from, although it is very distasteful to hear. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's how any of us would interpret it. Either of us, I should say, not like any of us, like the whole world, either of us would interpret the idea of physical threat being so parsed down to just that one type of interaction, but I suppose that that is fine. The larger implication for this, though, is uh, this is only a a small piece of what's to come. There is still obviously the MLB investigation, which will determine whether or not Trevor Bauer continues playing baseball, um, which is very secondary to the main thing, which will be a, a eventual civil trial and a criminal trial. This was really just for a restraining order. This was actually a pretty small piece of, of, of the larger legal picture that is that is to come here. Uh, and while Trevor Bauer, I, I, I guess, gets what he wants out of this one in that the restraining order didn't end up, uh, old one got dissolved and there won't be a, a new one. It came at quite a cost where he had to acknowledge a lot of what will eventually become sticking points in other trials. And I'm not sure about how admissible something said in one court are to a different court when the, the courts themselves aren't in the same legal spheres, mm-hmm. but regardless, he it had to admit that, you know, there was a sexual relationship here that he did all the things that she is accusing him of. His lawyers just painted a picture of where basically the, she asked for it argument, which I can't imagine will go over well in a criminal proceeding. Um, yeah, juries so, tend to uh, not really love that kind of argument. So were, were you following this, Corwin? A bit, not nearly as close as I both probably should have and what was available, just really just following along the major headlines that would pop through. So what do you, what do you see as the, uh, I don't know, the, the fallout from this, I guess? I think we've unfortunately seen the kind of, what do I want to say, the the precedent set by MLB when it comes to domestic violence from Roberto Ozuna and um, oh, who's the other big name player? Marcelo Ozuna? Who right, with the Braves? No, no, you're right. Roberto Ozuna of the Astros. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Both Ozunas are yeah. wife-beating assholes. Ah, good, good, good. I think. Um. 
And if uh, we are incorrect on that, Marcel, um, you could beat me up, so I'm sorry. Uh, if you did, in fact, beat up your wife, uh, fuck off. Go to hell. Um, but we've kind of seen that it comes second to on the field, and it leads me to not have much hope in what should ultimately be the final ruling on this, which is Trevor Bauer, you'd no longer get to play baseball because of all the shit you've done in your past. I think he's going to get hit with a suspension. I think it's going to be time served plus whatever the remainder is, which is going to lead to not a whole lot, maybe half a season next year, if not less. And we're not really going to be much further than we are now in the scheme of, you know, domestic violence reform in terms of MLB baseball. That being said, I very much think she has an incredibly strong case in the U.S. legal system to kind of find her own justice in this because she's never going to find true justice when it comes to this. You know, if he is found to be genuinely guilty, proven to be guilty, as all accounts point to, uh, to the fullest extent, there's no kind of coming back from the things that were done. So honestly, I'm hoping if it does get to that, there's some actual, you know, criminal, not criminal, but uh, prison time. And uh, that's kind of the end of Trevor Bauer. Nothing against him personally, like we've argued in the past. You know, we've definitely had our comments and our concerns about if Trevor Bauer is good for baseball, if his voice and kind of how he composes himself or holds himself in the media sphere is good for baseball. Now this is a conversation on is he good for humanity? And I think we can kind of both agree on that answer being no, not really. So I just kind of want there to be a positive outcome at the end of this, whether or not MLB is the one doing that or not. Uh, I I do think I have, I'll say, a tepid and readily uh, adjustable appreciation for what MLB is doing right now, which is taking a back seat to the proceedings. I think I was a lot more upset a few months ago mm. when all this first started happening because they, they acted like they weren't able to do more. You know, like the idea that Trevor Bauer still hasn't even received the 81 game suspension for domestic violence, whereas we've seen that handed out very quickly to other players, rightfully so. Um, it's like weird that it hasn't happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, oh no, actually, hold on. I, oh, it's been so long. I think actually it was that was to avoid him continuing to get paid, something like that. Regardless, I, I was more upset a few months ago. I am happy now that I got happy is a difficult word, but I, I am more content now with their quieter approach as they let the headlines about the actual things that matter in this instance take um, precedence over what they would end up doing. Because really, again, that that's the more consequential and the more important thing. You know, it's real. It's real life. Baseball, we love. It's not real life. This is real mm-hmm. life. And so that that MLB isn't making this about themselves and isn't dominating headlines with what they're going to do, what they want to do, what they will eventually do is, is the right thing at this juncture. 
like you said, that, it's, yeah. it, it's going to it's going to come down to what they do when there is actually their time and their room to do whatever they're going to do that we're going to, you know, we'll cross that bridge. when We get to it. Um, and like you said, they're going to have to do something. Um, we fucking hope anyway. But at this point, letting the legal proceedings carry out and let the story be told um, so that the, the the victim can be heard here and we can get a full understanding of the situation and, you know, let again, just let that have its space is, is probably the right decision, which and if you listen to the show, you know, I don't often defend MLB in any in, in any instance, but I, I will say that I I can at least appreciate that whether whether it is intentional or not. So I'll give that to him. But it was a uh, it was just for the restraining order. It was already pretty fucking dark. So I, I am mm-hmm. um, very very horrified for the eventual further proceedings, but um, it is a part of the process and it's important. And, you know, I'll be trying to pay as close attention to it as I can. I paid relatively close attention to to this one. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's uh, difficult, but important. So that's what we got to do. I very much agree. All right. Let's, let's, let's try to close out on a couple relatively more lighthearted topics before we get out of here today. Um, which means we will avoid the Padres Reds conversation to make Corwin less sad. Oh. Uh, so let's talk about fashion. Favorite topic here on the show. And let me ask you, Corwin Dodgers City Connect jerseys officially came out. They've now already played their first game in them this season. Uh, it is a bright Royal Dodgers blue. The jersey just kind of says Los Dodgers. That's it. And uh, with all blue pants, fully blue top, and then the uh, hat, which is also all blue, also says Los Dodgers on it. What do you what do you think of these? Seriously, like this is this is the best you could come up with to kind of end the season of the City Connect like this is this was your end-all be-all like this was the peak so boring it looks like a standard dodgers alternate jersey it looks nothing special it's just really los dodgers the dodgers like i get it it's a very you know latin heavy area the dodgers it, it's it's their home uniform, but with Los on it. Yeah. There's nothing special, unique, or interesting about these whatsoever. I, I'm honestly surprised that this isn't what the Yankees were going to do. Like, this feels so boring and corporate. I'm surprised it's not the Yankees that are doing this. And it's like, look, you know, I, I hate the Giants ones, too. But I and they barely did anything with those fucking jerseys. Most of it was white. That was my big complaint about it was that it there was nothing even on those jerseys, and those were more creative than these are. Mm-hmm. And we I saw a story come out not long after these jerseys made their debut on you know Twitter and news cycles and whatnot that owners uh, or uh, team representatives whomever were going back to Nike to try to work with them to scrap their current ideas and try to come out with more bold ideas because of the poor reception that several of the 
uh, more tame jerseys had received these new Dodgers jerseys included, which I hope is true because my God, like at this point, I, again, I can't believe that these aren't the Yankees jerseys. Like I was fully expecting the Yankees ones to be, you know, that dark Navy Yankees blue, like my shirt. And instead of saying New York across the chest, it just says like Bronx. Um, yep. And you know, like that be, and then be this like dark blue pants and shirt. And then the hat that maybe just says Bronx as well on it. Like that. I, Man, all of us, it's easy. It's stupid. All of us could do that for every Jersey. It'd be, it'd be a horrible idea. It's nothing to do with the city. And it's, and it's tough to even say, Oh, well, you know, the Dodgers in Los Angeles has a big um, Hispanic community. So the, the Los is there to, to pay some level of uh, homage or respect to the Latin community. Oh, when you're in Los Angeles and it's not exactly a huge jump to even just dump the the los in front of dodgers to just make a connection to your city completely irrespective of the city's culture and history obviously it's a it's a it's a latinx town because it's in a part of the country that used to belong to fucking mexico so like no no shit all all the town names around there are are spanish in some type of way it's it's just making it that just adding the LOS, I don't think actually says anything about the current culture and heritage of your, of your, uh, I don't know, fan base, your locale, as it does just seem like a lazy extrapolation of the fucking town name that you're in completely devoid of any history. So it's, yeah, it's so fucking lazy. The Dodgers blue is nice. It's a nice blue. It's a very pretty blue. The red of the numbers looks nice. It's just, it's just nothing special. It's fine. It's fine. It, it looks like a spring training jersey. Oh my God, you're right. It looks like a spring training jersey. <laughs> Seriously, and so the same thing I was saying for the Yankees. Like the Yankees spring training jerseys are like, you know, these navy blue jerseys. Like, you know, they have also an NY logo on it, but like you look at it and go like, oh, it's, yeah, it's an ultra. It's it's, but it's a spring train. This is that. This is this is their version of the Yankee spring train jersey. This is absolutely spring train jersey. Do you think that they put all this investment into the first what was it five teams, and then nobody told them that they actually were supposed to have a sixth, and they were like, oh shit we have our presentation in like two hours. We have nothing. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay. We need to do something. And it's just, all right, this was the easiest thing to get together. Uh, I, I wonder if I, I would imagine it more so directionally probably comes from the team. And I would wonder if the larger the team, the more afraid they are of doing something wacky. Because theoretically, you have more money to lose, you know, if you're the Dodgers. Not that you're going to, like, you know, lose money on production costs or anything, but if you don't make a, a buyable jersey, something that people want, you're missing out on, I don't know how many people actually live in Los Angeles, 15 million, let's say. You're losing out on potentially 15 million. than New York City. Yeah, that's why I picked 15, and I really don't give a fuck to Google that number. LA can eat my dick. Well, it's um, definitely sm- Okay, I'm going to say eight. No, eight's New York. I thought ten was New York. No, eight's New York. All right. Well, then I'll say seven. Are you saying it's smaller than New York? Yes. 
Well, it's geographically much larger than New York, which is why I went with a bigger number. Yes. What is it? I'm still looking. Oh, okay. No uh, shit. 3.9. Wow, that's it? Yeah. Wow. Okay, wow. LA, you're more... 15 million. 15 million. <laughs> yeah, I was way over. Jesus Christ. 3.9? That's really it? Yeah. How do you guys have such bad traffic? Are you fucking serious? How is your traffic this bad? That doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't hit that much traffic when I drive in Manhattan. I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. You have the people. Y'all fucking stupid as shit. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we have no listener base in Los Angeles because every time they come up, I immediately give their locale shit. <laughs> But regardless, if you're the Dodgers that say you got, you know, 2 million people who you expect offhand to buy some cool new piece of merch that you come out with, that's a lot of people, you know, because maybe if you're, um, I don't know, fucking the Marlins and you just don't have as much of a, of a, of a base of representation of people who like actually buy your shit in Miami. And maybe it's like 500,000 people. And, you know, if you're the Dodgers, you really want all the two million of those people to buy your jersey. And if they don't, then you're missing out on more coin than the Marlins are because they have so many fewer people who would buy their jersey. So there's less of an opportunity cost if things don't work out their way. That's what I would guess might be why some of these have been more boring. Maybe. And that's also why I would expect the Yankees to be a lot more boring. We'll see now if they do something weirder, which, again, I would hope they would. Hey, maybe bring it out an outside contractor that's from your area that does cool artwork that makes clothes that you could bounce some ideas off of and pay them for their ideas. That seems like a good thing to do. Yeah. Why why not bring in Tony Peralta to help make you a jersey? There's a lot of people I bet in Los Angeles that do really cool LA specific jersey uh, clothing designs that would love to help make uh, a jersey for the Dodgers or the or the Angels that is specific to the region because they fucking live there and make art based on the present demographics and 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 lifestyle of the area that you could pay handsomely as an outside contractor to actually help out a little bit. But hey, what the fuck do I know? I'm just a jackass works in corporate America. Jackass. Jacques. Jacques. Yeah, I don't know. It's boring. It's boring, yeah. Jersey. Yeah. Hey, Dodgers. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Okay. Suck my balls, Dodgers. Starting with Bellinger. Uh, suck my balls, Mr. Garson. Uh, obviously, there's there's a lot of other things to mention that we have not gotten to in recent episodes. The Reds have officially called up to the Padres. The Yankees have officially called up to the Red Sox and now passed them quite a bit. I also had written down here the Angels versus uh, the Indians. Or, uh, it still feels so gross to say. The Cleveland baseball team because uh, the Angels... All right, do you hear me again? Yep. I, I bumped my surge protector with my foot and turned it off. Got it. I saw you looking around. And I'm like, 
Uh, I don't want to say anything because he's in the middle of talking and I don't know if it's on my end or like what, but when you were looking yeah, no, around, it's like, oh, I, he, clearly something has happened. What was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, it was only like 10, 15 seconds, but boy, I don't remember. Uh, the, the Guardians and the Angels have feel like they're in such completely different parts of their... I don't know, immediate, their, their five-year plans. You know, the Angels clearly trying to continue to improve their roster. Mm. The Guardians shedding pieces like nobody's business. And yet, they have the same win percent right now. It, it, it's absolutely baffling. And I think that is a conversation I'd like to eventually have, even though it's not quite as immediately present as you know the Yankees can get catching up with the Red Sox because that has playoff implications, or the Reds catching up with the Padres because that has playoff implications. But as of recording this, Cleveland's record is 60 and 61, one game under 500. And the Angels' record is 62 and 63, one game under 500. And mm. oh my God, if you ask me to name five Angels, I can name you five Angels, no problem. If you ask me to name five Guardians, I have no fucking clue. Tristan McKenzie, it's the only one I can think of offhand. And Jose Ramirez. Shane Bieber. Okay, Shane Bieber. Zach Plesak. Zach Plesak. Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez, their catcher. Uh, see, I, I no that one. That one I didn't. I thought their has, catcher was Austin Hedges. No, Roberto Perez is their guy. I don't know if he's like hurt or something, but that's their dude. Um, Roberto Perez currently on the IL has only played in thirty-four games. Austin Hedges played in sixty-three games. Okay. So well, uh, suck my ass and balls, Corwin. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, Aaron Savali, I guess I know too. Emmanuel Clace, I know. Cal Quantrill, I know a couple guys, but still, it's it's like, oh yeah, him. Yeah, that. Okay, yeah, all right, that guy. It's it's not like you know when you go through the Angels roster and you go, oh, well, they have Sean Otani, they have Mike Trout, they have Jared Walsh who's playing very well this season. Got Max Stassi, David Fletcher. Um, Oh god, their their shortstop, uh, uh, Rossiel Iglesias, right? Rossiel Iglesias. Yes. Oh, sorry, yeah. Jose Iglesias. I thought it was Rossiel Iglesias. Iglesias. I feel like Rossiel Iglesias is like a relief pitcher. Oh, you know what he is? I'm confusing my Iglesias as he's. I was doing the same, and you said that, and I was like, eh, I can't say that confidently. But if you are saying it. It's close enough to. It's something. Yeah, Rysel Iglesias is their relief pitcher. He he is the. I guess they're. I guess they're closer. Yeah, he has twenty seven saves. That's the most in the team. No one else has fucking three. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We figured it out here, folks. Um. Oh man, one Andrew Heaney still has the second most innings pitched on their on their roster. <laughs> He's been off the that team. That is weeks. terrifying. <laughs> Oh, no. He's been off the team since the end of July. I mean, Dylan Bundy will probably pass him in his next start since he has 89.1 innings pitch, and Andrew Heaney's still sitting at 94, but, oh, man, that is so fucking sad. The fact that it's close is the concern. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Anyway, so maybe, maybe, maybe our next episode, if nothing else pressing comes up, will be something a little bit more about wild card standings and you know playoff implications and what has led teams to their 
rises and falls that we can tell in like the immediate, but that's all had to be a different episode because we have been go, go, going for quite some time here and it's time to go, go, get it. Up. Go, go, Sanchez ski shoes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I coughed right as I go? laughed and it sounded like I was giving a hearty belly laugh to that. I that's not what I thought you, you know said it. you were giving. I thought you were going to say you are giving something else. <laughs> uh, no comment. Corwin Heller with the hot Domington. Um, you got hot anything before we go? Domington. Not anymore. No. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you'd like to um, hit one of Corwin or I up on Twitter, you can do so for Corwin at Corwin Heller and for myself at Joshua D. Tracy. You know uh, what? Oh, don't. Yeah. Don't. don't. Yeah. Don't hit me up. Don't. All right, don't hit Corbin. Hall. We've been He's saying hit me up anyway. for so long, nobody ever has. No, you've lost your privilege. No, oh, fuck yourself. Um, I, I will also, I'd like to give a quick shout out to friend of the podcast, Max Greenfield, who is recently announced that he is, has left his position at Pitcher's List because he has accepted a new position as an assistant pitching coach for... Um, the City College of Santa Barbara Vaquero baseball team. So he is officially now an actual pitching coach for a baseball team. And that is so fucking cool. Very incredible for him. Love that. So fucking cool. So we um, obviously wish him the best of luck. We've had him on the show twice. He has been phenomenal. Uh, Talked to him a whole bunch of times outside of that. He's such a great guy. Very, very fucking smart. If you've ever read any of his work for Pitchers List, you know that. Um, and very good communication, which I think will also help translate to his ability to instruct very readily. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone's ever played the sport before, obviously that is like the biggest thing your coach can really do for you is communicate what he or she is telling you in a clear fashion. And Max is very good about that type of stuff and a very personable guy. So obviously we wish right, she got the job. You don't need to, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm here to help people succeed. in the only way I know how, and that is talking and really not much. else. So <laughs> um, oh, all the best to Max. I just wanted to shout him out before we wrapped it up, but um, that, that's all I got, I guess, really, for that. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, I said all that shit. Uh, follow Max in his new position, I guess, is we're already talking about him. Follow Max at, um, at uh, GreenfieldMax18. If you'd like to hit the show up via email, you can do so at juicethenumbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.